we've been doing this show for two and a half years now. And um, when I first started it, I thought, well, let's mix up a bit of cricket news and chat with a few guests. And I went through my little black book and I took the approach of nothing ventured <laughs> and asking people. And um, it's quite interesting that um, hidden in plain sight were quite a few uh, glowing names. Um, one or two I had to turn a blind eye to. Um, and then I did approach one or two who said over my dead body, but one who very gladly came forward and offered his support and is always a great pleasure to have talking to us on 98 Not Out is the superstar, the, the greatest man never to have played for England, but certainly oh, one of England's greatest writers. Uh, it's an absolute honour and a pleasure to welcome Geoffrey Archer along to the show. Good morning, Geoffrey. Good morning. How are you, Darren? <laughs> I'm very well. I'm very well. And you're looking uh, excellent as always. Um, keeping I can't rumble at 81. Yes. I can't um, how has uh, uh, lockdown been treating you? you, you you're emerging from it uh, unscathed? Well, I, I've had the three jabs and so far no problems. But I, I have to say I've been particularly lucky, Darren, because I have a friend who owns a restaurant who has nearly gone bankrupt. I have a friend who owns an art gallery who hasn't seen a customer for the last 16 months, uh, doing it all online, whereas we writers can pick up a pen and get on with it. And so in the last 14 months, <coughs> instead of writing two books, I've, instead of writing one book, I've written two. So I've been very privileged and lucky and I'm very aware of some of my friends going through real trouble. It is, it is. And I should congratulate you on the new book deal with... Um, uh, Bob um, Collins. Exactly, yes, exactly. And that's for three more books. Um, and uh, as you say, you've been pretty prolific. And uh, this new William Warwick story, which basically started at the same time as 98 Not Out. And uh, I think one of the first appearances that you made on the programme was Indeed. to Indeed. talk uh, about uh, Nothing Ventured. So... Um, to listeners and viewers that uh, are unfamiliar, this is a, it's a kind of a continuation of the Clifton Chronicles, isn't it? Well, the idea came from the Clifton Chronicles because Harry Clifton, who's the hero of the Clifton Chronicles, uh, was a writer. And uh, his eponymous hero was William Warwick. And, he's, and I started in Nothing Venture. It was the readers who kept writing saying, we want to know about William Warwick. So I invented him. He, he comes from... While he's at school, he wants to join the Metropolitan Police. You'll remember from book one. But his father, a distinguished QC, Sir Julian Warwick, wants him to go to Oxford and read law. But he defies his father, becomes a copper on the beat. And we follow his progress in each book. And what you will have discovered now, Darren, after four books, is every book is in its own right, so to speak. It's a different story. Book one. And every book he's a different rank so he starts off as a constable in book one nothing ventured and that's art and antiques and him chasing a rembrandt but in book two he becomes a detective a detective sergeant and that's drugs and in book three he becomes a detective inspector and that's police corruption and the book in front of you over my dead body is uh murder and he's got a soul four murders that have been unsolved because his commander thinks if you've murdered someone and got away with it, you might think about doing it again. So he's on book four now and he's 
heading towards what I aim for, which will be easy for you, Darren, but what I aim for is I've got to get to superintendent, chief superintendent, commander, commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. My problem is I've got to live to the age of 86 in order to achieve it. So I know he's capable of being commissioner. I'm just not sure whether I'll make 86. <laughs> well, they're set. As you say, it's a kind of a hindsight story, isn't it? The, the, the original one starts... Uh, was it 1983, was it? Um, the first yes, one? I'm going through, I, I, I'm, it'll come up today when he becomes yeah. commissioner, commissioner, but I started in the 80s, I'm now in the 90s, and uh, I will move on and on until we get right up to date. But I wanted to go through the life I'd led and the times I've li lived in, because I found with the Clifton Chronicles that people enjoyed that. They were able to follow... Uh, those that particular history of our country between those years and i enjoy doing that as well as telling a story at the same time jeffrey please don't tell me you have experience of drug dens at the top of tower blocks in grimy south london in the 80s yes i do uh but only in 2020 because that's <laughs> when john sutherland who was uh who's my chief researcher and was a chief superintendent in the police. He, uh, I said to him, I've got, I, I've got to go to a drug den. I've got to lock it down. I've got to capture him. He took me right through it. The experience the police had when they raided such an establishment. And of course that was fascinating. Uh, one of the fun of having John Sutherland and Detective Sergeant Michelle Roycroft, who was in the drug squad, and she's also retired. She had 25 years in the Met. Those two together, John Sutherland and uh, Michelle, they, I, what you just said to me, Darren, surely you don't have experience of X. I can get it in 10 minutes because they'll be, they'll take me through it. And I, I can give you a today example, no yesterday example, but, but yesterday I had to ring John Sutherland and say, I'm going to a hotel on an advance checking for a member of the royal family appearing. What would I do? And he sent back a page of what three police officers in the advance party would do and what the protection officer with the member of the royal family would do. Of course, it was fascinating because that's the sort of thing the public, they love the details. They don't want to lose the story. The story's got to move. But they love to learn things, as I did yesterday, that I didn't know before. I think that's one of the great joys of uh, of your writing, is that they're, they're, you take the reader on this journey and you, you, you easily tap into their curiosity, whether it's um, police procedure, whether it's um, dining on a luxury cruise ship and overhearing conversations from the top table. Uh, but intermixed with all of that there are always little um, vignettes of um procedure and how people behave and um you know i, I was quite taken with franco the waiter uh and the oh, yes. <laughs> yeah who wasn't really an italian but was calling in the tips very well thank you he's based on again most of these people Darren, are based on people i've met seen spoken to known and sometimes known quite well because I say to young authors, if you're going to write a book, why invent people? 
if you've got a friend who does this or a friend who does that and they fit in, describe them, not only how they physically look, but how they react, how they do things. And the reader will know you've met that person. They'll know. I like to believe when I write about Margaret Thatcher or John Major or whatever it might be, whoever it might be, they say, of course, Jeffrey's met them. So I don't invent them. I steal them. <laughs> That's very good. I'm looking for some of your good friends, John Cleese or Giles Brander, to pop up at some point. <laughs> yes, we went to, which will please you, because underneath there is a, a frustrated cricketer who actually thought he was quite good when he was rubbish. But nevertheless, it will interest you know, I, I went down to the year before COVID, Somerset had a chance of winning the county championship. We had to play Essex in the final match. And John Cleese and I went down to watch it in Taunton and it rained for four days. I mean, it was not clever. It was very, it was wonderful having his company because he's such good company and he's so bright. But he, uh, he and I watched the match for four days. Essex won the championship because there were no points awarded. That was when uh, you instructed the groundsman to uh, prepare a, a questionable pitch, wasn't it? Yes, certainly. <laughs> and I, would do any, I would do anything to see Somerset win the county championship. I'm 81. I started supporting them in Clarence Park, Western Supermare, when I was six years old. We've been second five times. We were top equal once and they took it away from us because they gave it to the team. They gave it to Nottingham, who had more wins. And then there was that disgraceful business at Lords when Middlesex were playing Yorkshire oh. and they fixed the score and said, look, we'll score 260. And then if you get it, it was absolute fix. We were in the lead at the time and they overtook us by a complete fix, Middlesex and Yorkshire, a complete <laughs> fix. What about white ball cricket? Because um, there was another disappointment this year, wasn't there, with uh, Somerset getting pipped at the post in the T20 Blast final at Edgbaston. Um, does that count in your... Uh, are you a fan of white well, ball cricket? I've attended the one-day victory when Ian Botham and Viv Richards and the great Joel Garner uh, killed the Worcestershire. So I've seen us win a one-dayer, and I've seen us... And, of course, we got to the final of the 2020, as you said. Mm. But for me, cricket, you have to win the county championship. And when I was a child, I watched Surrey win it seven years in a row. But real cricket for me is unquestionably a test match. I, I think a five-day test between Australia and England, that's the real thing. So you must be getting excited with the prospects. Yes. Of the ashes. Well, as having seen, we killed Australia yesterday, or was it the day before? We killed Australia in the one-day match, uh, slaughtered them. So I'm not as frightened. I, I kept reading articles that we would be slaughtered in the test match. I think it might be a fairly even battle. That's right. And hopefully um, your Somerset's very own Jack Leach will be back featuring in England Whites. Well, it, it's strange they haven't. Root hasn't used him, has he? It's very interesting. We haven't got a spin bowler he uses a lot. He prefers to have four fast bowlers. Uh, now, my hero for, for this, I think, could well be, we will be Wokes. I think he is almost as good as Stokes and is very, very reliable. Yeah, he's, um, we, we've interviewed him on the show. Lovely, lovely guy. I, I think probably, um, probably a bit too humble and unassuming and a bit too quiet where I think in that England dressing room, there are 
there are shouty characters that maybe gain influence where maybe the quieter ones um, get pushed to the side. Well, I think he's too good to be pushed to the side. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, he's uh, he's proving his worth in this tournament. Mm, um, so, so what is your what are your predictions then for the Ashes? Well, in theory, in theory, we lose three one. In practice, it could be better. I I went to two Ashes tests in Australia. The Australians love their cricket. I mean, I I go to Lords and watch a test match at Lords. The ground will be full around about midday. You go to Brisbane for the opening test against Australia. The ground is full half an hour before the first ball is bowled. They are all there for the first ball. They take it very seriously indeed. I think it is. I think the Ashes in Australia is probably a bigger thing than anyone here could imagine. I, I, I struggle to find a comparison in UK sport. I mean, in the old days, I would have said maybe the cup final, but the cup finals dwindled. But certainly, when the Ashes go down under, uh, yeah. it's a massive, massive thing. Uh, the equivalent, dare I say it, is if New Zealand play a match in Wellington, you'll feel the same atmosphere. I've been only once in my life have I been to a test match with New Zealand in New Zealand, and I can assure you, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say New Zealand rugby. Then I would imagine that the All Blacks playing at home in New Zealand is a is a significant draw. Well, I was doing a book tour there, Paul, and I went to. It's wicked of me not to remember, but I went to a small town, and I, I was chatting to the uh, the pub, a man in the pub, and and they said, "Yes, uh, we've got a match this afternoon," and it was uh, and and. It, as I say, it was a small town. And I said, how many, how many did your stadium hold? Uh, and he said, 20,000. And I said, well, wait a moment, how big is your town? He said, 60,000. I said, wow. Well, he said, you can't get tickets. It's sold out every single week. So that gives you a clue. In, in, and he said, we've got two All Blacks in the side. So they take the 60,000 town, 20,000 people, 20,000 of them are going off to watch. Their local team below the All Blacks. I mean, you have to queue. Uh, I always remember that story. You'll forgive this, Darren. I remember that story uh, many years ago uh, when there was no television and you couldn't watch a test match in New Zealand unless you actually purchased a ticket. And there was an advertisement in the uh, Wellington Times saying, I will marry anyone who has a ticket for the Lions versus All Blacks. And please send a photo of the ticket. <laughs> yes, passion indeed, passion indeed. <laughs> now, one of your other uh, great um, passions uh, is fundraising. Um, I'm not going to embarrass you by saying how much you've raised over the years in uh, in the charity events that you support. And uh, certainly I've been there a few times. You've prized my wallet empty at various functions um, for memorabilia. It a lot can't of have been a very big wallet. <laughs> I'm a humble banker of poor means. <laughs> um, but um, how has that been this year? We were talking about lockdown earlier on uh, how it's affected people. It, it, it's the thing, Darren, it's the thing I most missed. I've got two this week one next week, 
I'm going to, my big one next week. I've got the Royal Marines at uh, the Guildhall. That's one of my big ones of the year. It's the thing I've missed most is it, you're on the center of the stage. I love auctioneering. I've done over 1,100 in 40 years and raised just over 60 million. And it's more than a hobby. It, it's part of my life. I absolutely love it. I know. And I, I, as I say, I've been witness uh, to, to, to your absolute skill because uh, it's not an easy job, particularly at some of these bigger, bigger functions and the bigger stages. Not, you know, I've seen you at, at Lords a couple of times at uh, uh, the Grosvenor, these, these big audiences. And there is a real skill in um, being an auctioneer and getting people to get involved and to um, get people one against each other to, to outbid or whatever else. You, you're very, very good. And what's always impressive is that when it seems to be sort of losing steam, you, you whip it up again and off it goes. Um, it, it is incredible. Well, I've watched, Darren, I watched over the years, uh, Barry Humphreys, who one of our great, great, comedians and uh, I learned a lot from him about how to handle an audience and the timing it's been a privilege to watch him uh, so I've watched others he's not an auctioneer Barry is not an auctioneer but I, you can use those skills as an auctioneer uh, and when you're teasing money out of people uh, yeah I love it it's fun <laughs> and, uh, we should all have a hobby and that's mine oh definitely so um the next william warwick book is coming um pretty soon i believe is it another within six months we get the next no, installment no, no oh you mean no over my dead body has just come out right the new one will come pretty well a year today oh okay i've I, where you're right is i've done 11 drafts of it uh, so I, i'm right on top of it, and the publishers have already got it. But uh, no, no, the public won't be able to read it until about a year today. To, uh, so over my dead body is taking precedence at the moment. Yeah. But I will, I will tell you that the next one, I don't think it's ever been done by an author, at least I've never read, seen it. It's the next one will be on the protection of the royal family and police protection wow. of the royal family. Fantastic, very topical. Yeah, and the research for that has been Fascinating. Fascinating. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, and is that the conclusion? Is that is that certainly not? You'll only be a superintendent. <laughs> and, and after that, I think uh, we go on to chief superintendent, commander, and commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. Is it an ongoing work that you're constantly sort of adding well, and refreshing to this, or do you take yes. a break and? Yes, and you're. I wake up three in the morning and thinking about it. Where's it going to go? I've got, um, yes, all the time. And of course, with John and Michelle, they're continually feeding me with facts, which I have to turn into ideas. Because some of the facts are very boring. Uh, I, I, the last on the drugs book, for example, they brought in a very remarkable man who'd been head of the drug squad. And so, yes, he taught me that uh, there are five million people on marijuana. There are half a million people on crack cocaine. There are a quarter of a million people on heroin. I mean, he was wonderful on facts, which, as I said earlier, you've got to filter into the books. But he was absolutely useless on anecdotal stories <laughs> of his own life. And I, got, I kept 
say, you're pathetic. I said, I never get a story out of you. You're useless. <laughs> and we were heading off for a pub for lunch. And I said, well, tell me someone who annoyed you. And he said, well, there was this burglar, Jeffrey, who he knew, I knew, he knew he was the best burglar in the big And I just couldn't catch the bug. And what really annoyed me was every Christmas, he would send me a Harrods hamper, ask me to share it with his team. And of course, we have to send it straight down and it goes to charity. But he said, yeah, yeah. I said stop. I said, that is an anecdotal story. <laughs> so whenever I see John Sutherland or Michelle Roycroft now, I say, give me a hamper. And they know, exactly, they know exactly what I mean. So we go on to a new, a new subject and I say, give me a hamper. And it's not just the facts. It's something that's happened in their daily life that you and I would, as you just did, Darren, laugh. Because I was speaking at, I was doing a speech uh, yesterday in Hazelmere and I had to stop the audience and say, you see, I was telling one of these stories and they all burst out laughing. And I said, the fact that you burst out laugh shows you believe it. It's real. For me, I'm going to put that on paper because anyone reading in a book will laugh. And you're looking for those nuggets all the time. You mentioned well, pubs. There was, a, there was a friend of mine who was, uh, well, I think he still is actually, um, a member of the uh, City of London Police. Uh, and he used to talk about, um, you know, if you ever want to pick up on anything that there are, and I'm sure you're aware of this, there are various pubs around London, for example, which are known police pubs, which are known villains pubs, shall we say, where yeah. you might go and sit in the corner and uh, having a quiet pint and doing the crossword, but you are privy to all kinds of indiscreet conversations that go on. Um is, is that something as well that um, you sort of come across? Uh, yes and no. But I mean, sometimes those people sitting in that situation are waiting for a particular criminal to give them information. Hmm. That's the other side of that. Hmm. And here's a quiz for you, and you can come back to me on it when you feel ready. I've long puzzled on there must be a, a true story to be told about banking crime, cybercrime, banking crime. And if you think there's any books I ought to read in particular or any person I ought to meet in particular, I'd be listening very carefully indeed, Darren. Yes. Oh, I you, can. Want, you want me to talk to Paul, do you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's in banking as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm now in trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you may say, oh, yeah, we had a guy who went through hell and he can tell you the most amazing story. Or you may say, read this book, or and, and that's where I get my I get my things from real people sitting down and talking to me, and they can talk to you for hours, and you might only get fifteen minutes, and they can talk to you for fifteen minutes, and you've got hours. It's just it's amazing how it happens. The big problem, which I'm looking into, of course, is people are holding large sums of money and can't even bank them. No, I find that fascinating because particularly the Russians. Uh, British banks not dealing with them at the moment, which is fascinating. And it comes back to one of the themes of your books is where this money ends up. And one of the places yeah. is fine art yeah. um, and, um, you know, other, other things that become less easily traceable. And um, it, it's football where clubs. money can be can be hidden. Ah, sorry? Football clubs. Oh, football clubs, yeah. A stupid way of losing your money. 
but I'm giving it, I'm giving covering it, giving it away. Uh, you're quite right. I mean, it's, it is, uh, and the security now, I signed a check the other day and forgot to put the cross on the top of the J and it was for a hundred pounds and the bank rang up to check it was me. Oh. So security at the moment is, I've never known anything like it. Right, we've been rambling and taking up too much of your time, Jeffrey. Um, let's just... Um... Yes, you, yes, you have. <laughs> As we always do. <laughs> so a reminder that Jeffrey's new book, which I have a copy here, um, Over My Dead Body, um, volume number four in the William Warwick saga. Um, excellent read. As always, I've, I've polished it off in uh, less than two days. Wow. Which I've done with all of the others. So that, um, wow. You do you do see reviews of of, uh, of uh, page turners and unput downables, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But your books, I always seem to just gobble up in well a day or two, literally. Um, so it's it, they're, they're very good. So I heartily recommend. And with Christmas coming up, um, I would tell all of our listeners and viewers to really treat someone and get all of the volumes so far. Get all four William Warwick stories and give them to someone who will thank you heartily because that will take up the Christmas period and it will it will make them feel a bit better about you for giving it to them so I hardly recommend that um Jeffrey absolute pleasure to see you and you're looking so well and um thank you. You hopefully next season Somerset can uh, win the county championship for you really man <laughs> <laughs> but the mighty Essex will be stood in the way. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you my mighty Essex story. Go on. Graham Gooch rang me and said, would I do, would I do the speech for their winning team? You remember they won the county championship. Okay. In the game. This was many years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and I said, yes, of course. And then the Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, called a general election. So I had to ring Gooch and say, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry. Gucci, but uh, you know the rule, when there's a general election for one month, we don't do anything else but that. We're, literally, every minute is taken up. He said, yes, I, I totally understand. Can I put you down for next year? And I said, yes, of course you can, Graham. He said, but you may not be the champions. He said, yes, we will. And they were. <laughs> and I turned up a year later. And <laughs> The mighty Graham Gooch, what a what a world, what a hero, what a hero! <laughs> All right, Jeffrey, uh, many many thanks, and uh, best wishes to Mary and the family and everyone else, and um, good health and success on all of you. And and um, well, I was going to say good luck with the book, but I don't need to wish you good luck because it's it's going to take care of itself. It's it's a, it's a, another superb effort and um, uh, a really really enjoyable and thrilling read as well. Always very good fun. So. Uh, Jeffrey Archer, many thanks for joining Paul and I on Nine Say That Out, and we shall catch up with you very soon. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs>